Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. And guys, today we are in for a treat. I am joined by the owner of Agency Bell, an industry-leading agency that specializes in client acquisition for law firms. And also, this gentleman was the judge on season 11 of the Blocks TV show. Please welcome Jordan Bell. Hey, Sam. Thank you for having me. Jordan, I got that wrong. You were one of the judges. You weren't the judge. You weren't the ultimate judge. Um, dude, thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming to hang out with me, man. It's uh, It's been an interesting few months since I met you uh, on the blocks. Um, before we dive off into that, just uh, just tell everybody a little bit about who Jordan Bell is and uh, about what Agency Bell does real quick. Yeah, thank you. So I am a three or four times, I guess four times entrepreneur now. Um, for the last seven years, I've been running a digital advertising agency. Uh, mm-hmm. During the pandemic, we uh, specialized in law firms for a very particular reason. Um, I wanted to upgrade the industry in some ways that hadn't really been resolved yet, problems that hadn't been resolved yet. Um, there was a key problem for those who know advertising. Um, they're, uh, in the e-commerce world, um, mm-hmm. we have this thing called a tracking pixel that we put on um, on the thank you page when you've yeah, completed an yeah, order. Yeah, yeah. And that trains the advertising system. Right. But that, that journey of training advertising systems for sales doesn't exist very effectively in the lead generation world. So service professionals, and, uh, and we, are, we are closing that gap now. We've, we've uh, built the systems for that, the automations for that. And uh, we help um, service professionals, SaaS companies, any company that signs leads basically mm-hmm. with their sales team um, has the ability to double or triple their sign up ratio from the leads without really spending more on their advertising because through things like machine learning and AI, we train their advertising systems uh, to deliver leads that are significantly more signable. Right, right. And so that's that's a, a big reason I wanted to uh, to bring you on the show. Maybe uh, maybe a little bit later on, we can mm. spend some time talking about the, the technical excuse me, the technicalities of what it is you do. Because, you know, when I'm working with my clients, um, like tracking pixels, uh, you, you might as well be talking in, in, in a foreign language when, when you Usually. mention that kind of stuff. And so um, I find it's something that's lacking in a, a lot of the, the small businesses, the guys with just a few people just trying to run leads and bring in service leads and stuff. They, they don't know the first thing about it. And I think that, uh, I think it'd be a little bit useful for our audience to know. But before we go there, mate before we go there this is, this is your fourth time as an entrepreneur and mm. i'm interested in some of the lessons you've learned along the way so i want to dig into it like what were you like growing up and what happened that turned you into an entrepreneur Ooh, good question well <laughs> um there's a there's a few elements of that I'll, I'll take them one at a time but they uh i think one of the most obvious reasons to me that i wanted to be an entrepreneur was because I really wanted to march to the beat of my own drum. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really fit well into the, the corporate structure. And I guess I guess I should be fair to say that when I when I felt sure that I knew where I was going and that I that I had a path and I knew how I could grow, I fit well in okay. But mm-hmm. there's always those moments in a future entrepreneur's life, I think, where 
they discover that they want to make a big change. And the only right. thing that makes sense to them is going after this authentic change that can help people. And they run into a brick wall. They run into the, the politics, the, the social game, the, uh, all of the, the elements that don't move things forward. And, we, and, and someone like me, I go, this doesn't make sense. We should just do this. And, mm -hmm. um, and it will lead to that. And mm -hmm. that, that thing is three to five to 10 times better. And I can't think of any reason why it's not going to work. And then when we run into those brick walls, uh, I, I, I find that that's one of those, um, that's one of those moments when, uh, when we decide maybe I should be doing something on my own. If I'm, if I'm not going to be able to, if I'm not going to be able to create what I want to create here, right, maybe right. being here is not right for me. I had great colleagues, I had great teams. Um, I had some great managers and I was always very grateful for the lessons that I learned. Uh, but one thing I realized was I wanted to march the beat of my own drum. I was a drummer. So maybe there's that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was a musician growing up. Um, no, 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 I, you, you hung yeah. around with musicians. You hung around with musicians. That's what. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, so I was, uh, I was literally a percussionist from, from third, fourth grade on, um, I was a theater guy. I was. Uh, I didn't realize it anywhere until uh, even into the last year. But I spent all of my life being autistic. Mm -hmm. uh, I had ADHD. Of course, I didn't know that until a few years ago. But that's right, right. these are things we have all our lives. And so there were a lot of moments growing up where I, I just I couldn't. It's, it wasn't even just not being able to sit still, whether it was class or whatnot. I would always. I was getting like a B's and, and mostly A's, but I was still like I was leaving class as often as I as I could. So that I could stimulate my mind, going for walks, playing piano down in the in the uh, in the music hall, and I was I would find my way to the places where I could be expressive in some ways, creative and expressive. Found my way to theater, went to music school, just wanted to work in the music industry. Uh -huh. Discovered I actually really like business. Did a music and a business degree separately. Uh, when I went out back into the working world, um, I worked for a music products company. So like Michael Jackson's songbooks, uh, marching right, band right. music, yeah, all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, it yeah. was my first job in California, but I had gotten a taste of, I had gotten a taste of working in corporate culture. And so I worked at a few companies um, along the way in marketing, digital marketing. Mm -hmm. I liked the marketing uh, element being creative. Um, I also discovered that I liked the, the, uh, the analytical part. I was a I was a couple yeah. of years ahead in math in school. So, you know, getting into the, a little bit into the uh, kind of typical autistic story, if I can even say that with creative music and math and stuff like that, those are like my, it's going off in those directions. And as I got further along, uh, characteristics started showing up uh, for me. So I would start looking at things I felt, thought were ideal ways of doing things. If you've mm -hmm. ever seen the, the Temple Grandin movie, um, there was a point in it where she uh where temple was was had designed this like cattle moving um uh system and mm -hmm. she laid out the blueprints and whatnot and when she was testing it um there was a lot of uh, negative feedback about it and the people that she was designing it for weren't using it right and so the, the cattle weren't moving the way they were supposed to be moving right, right. and she was getting upset saying like this is like they're not doing it right this is they're supposed to do it this way and that and this is early on in my journey of, of discovering I was autistic and I was going, oh, that's how I feel. And, <laughs> and, and that's how it felt at times in corporate, because I kept thinking if we just right. did this, then we could triple productivity and all these things. And then I would get really confused as I would realize that, that, that my desire to do that would kind of blow up in my face. 
there was a, there was a turning point in my second to last corporate job where it was a marketing team of 50. And, um, and it was a lot of, uh, a lot of people who had been with the company, maybe five to 10 years mm -hmm. and, um, publishing company, uh, great, great individuals. And I didn't, I didn't understand the ideas of psychological safety at the time. So mm -hmm. I can appreciate why it happened, even though I knew that wasn't the, wasn't the place for me. But I remember we were passing PDFs back and forth for things when, when we were like marking up PDFs for email marketing and they were going back and forth five times at this company that had to have, um, where we had to send hundreds out, um, right. you know, per season, run direct mail pieces and whatnot. And I, I was learning HTML. I was in my, you know, early, like mid twenties at the time. And I was learning HTML at night at my previous job for, you know, email marketing coding. And, um, and I remember thinking, gosh, you know, if we just got like Dreamweaver on our computer and we learned a few coding skills, we could send the first email pass over, or we could send the, the copy over. And then when they send the email, uh, pass back as an HTML file, we could just edit our way until it's done because they were so mm -hmm. templated. Instead of passing it back and forth over and over again, and that literally I'd, I'd done the calculations, I thought we could triple our productivity immediately. Well, I started talking about it. And because the skills that we would need weren't that weren't that much, and there was only right, a couple right. of us that would need to learn the skills, we'd need the permission to do it instead of mm -hmm. marking up PDF, sending it back, and oh, that doesn't space right and all that, you know. Um, and it did not go how I expected at all. Um, I got in trouble. I was spoken to. Um, mm -hmm. And I was talked to about how this is not how we introduce policy, like new ideas and policies. And I didn't know what to do with it because I couldn't understand very easily at the time why we wouldn't just all go, oh, yeah, this will work better. Because I was so focused on it going better for everyone. What I didn't understand at the time was that that was threatening to a lot of people, yeah. um, several people in the department, because if their jobs were changing dramatically, and we were talking about like, you know, uh, moms of three kids, you know, mm -hmm. we've been working there forever. And that even, even though I was ultimately right about it and we, the company ultimately adopted that within like three months, right? Once it was there, once it was out there, mm -hmm. they couldn't, they couldn't close that door again. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. But it, I didn't realize that that was not the way that I needed to handle it there for my <laughs> career. And I found myself, I didn't find myself like stifled because of that, but I realized that I was not in the right place for me to want to innovate quickly. And I needed mm -hmm. to sort of um, stay in my lane. And so yeah. that was yeah. the last time I worked on a large team. I definitely didn't feel, I didn't, um, um, uh, I didn't dislike them as people, as a culture. I just understood being on a large team, a cog in the wheel is not my place. And I need to go where, where I can flourish, but not, but not um, cause any, you know, disruption in a place that doesn't want that. And that's okay. Man, I feel that story. I, I, I feel it, man. I was working in oil and gas law in my mid twenties. Yeah. And um, it, I was actually in my late twenties and we were, we were passing around projects on a USB drive and for about a year and a half, I'd been using this thing called Dropbox. <laughs> mm. And I was trying to explain to these guys, look, you can, you can log into this, right? You can open the document. And you can work on it, right? And then I can log in and I can work on it. And um, so I could not get the company to adopt uh, to Dropbox or any kind of centralized server. And I know this is your episode, but I have to tell the story. Oh, please, please do it. The, the one thing that made it change 
and it changed overnight. We had bullpen officers. So uh, in, in law, we'd move from city to city, uh, go in where the, the drilling was, and we'd do the legal prep for the, uh, for the oil rigs. And um, we had bullpen officers so everybody could like see and hear what was going on. And uh, we were plugging this USB drive in and moving it from computer to computer to computer. And um, one guy's computer, it popped up Windows Media Player, autoplay. And uh -oh. he, well, you know, like the, the landman folks, they get into this thing where they travel, they live in travel trailers, they're all divorced in their 50s and 60s, they all drink themselves to death. I mean, you know, and I don't mean to disparage an industry, it's just a very common thing. These guys, they sure. live alone, they're, they're on the road the whole time. And anyway, the, the, uh, the media that the man had been consuming quite happily in his trailer by himself started playing at a very loud volume in the office and uh it, it was quite embarrassing for him and immediately after that they they were very keen to switch over to dropbox but it mm. it, it, it took uh, it, it took that and and before that like people don't like especially the kids now they think all this is just like native and it just it's always existed and that's mm -hmm. not true when when i first started doing legal work people were turning reports in still handwritten Yep. <laughs> if, if you want to date yourself but it's it, it's funny that you ran across that in uh in the in, in the corporate world it's almost as though if if you come in with a more efficient thing that threatens the people above you instead of adapting to it and bringing it on and making the company better they just kind of try to stomp it out and make sure their job is yeah. safe and yeah change is scary it, it is and 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 i think if i were to empathize right change is scary because if they, if others don't also move, they, in many ways, long-term can be at risk. And so th this, I had come in with this idea that um, the only way to operate is to continuously learn and grow, but mm -hmm. it isn't. And, you know, as part of, I do a lot of um, self-assessment, professional self-assessment, you know, exercises. And right. one of the ones I like is the Clifton Strengths Finder. And um, it's uh, one of my favorites. You can get it at gallup.com. But I, um, if they have this 34 strengths and mine, one of my top five is this learner. Learner, futuristic, the other, there's like a strategic green category. And um, so I find that I, I work well with other people who are learners. Um, who like, that's just all they, they just consistently want to learn new things. But one of my critical mistakes was, was, was not realizing or being aware at the time that that didn't mean that everyone wanted to, a lot of people will want to work very hard and, and, um, and be guided through change, um, in a very, uh, methodical systematic way. And that's, mm okay, we need, we need all types of strengths and we don't need everyone to carry the same strengths in the right, world. Right. It doesn't, doesn't work. Does, businesses don't, don't thrive that way. Um, so I, for me, it was, it was second nature, but what I needed to learn at the time was that there's in it within a team environment, we have to really, uh, we have to really think about who we're working with and how everyone can sort of, uh, um, can come together on the same type of goal. So I, I have a much greater appreciation. I would have, I would have mentored and coached Jordan from a while ago differently, but uh, that part of it is still with me, that drive to go forward. And when you're an entrepreneur, as you know, you have that ability and to do so freely without, without causing harm or a worry to others who, who may have a reason to feel like, well, what if I, if I don't grow fast enough, will mm -hmm. I be able to feed my kids? So that's, that's always a, that's always a tough one. And, you know, as difficult as it gets, 
there always seems to be a little bit more toothpaste in the tube. You, you can, it, it doesn't matter. I, I've been, I've been so broke. I can barely pay attention. And yet, you know, you pivot one more time and then boom, it's, it, there always seems to be enough money to go around. If you just mm -hmm. keep working on it, keep focused. Now, yeah. speaking to that subject, um, I know there's a lot of folks listen to the show that, that aren't quite business owners yet, but they want to be there. And so what was it like for you stepping out from that security of the, the corporate world and, and the, the consistency of the paycheck and setting yourself up with your first business? What was that process like mm. for you? And, and how did you, how did you make that jump? Oh, great question. Thank you. Um, so I was in a digital marketing i was a marketing director mostly digital stuff at an advertising technology company it was the company i went to after that corporate role i was talking about and that was great because it was a small team and uh and so i had a small team of people that i that i worked with and oversaw a couple interns and a, a, a design manager um some marketing help and so i got to really expand out from the digital marketing wheel so i was there for mm -hmm. a couple of years i had just started my mba at the time uh, doing night classes so i was really like i was in the mix of it and i got to i got to influence a lot of things sales marketing uh, website all that stuff you get to redo everything in a way you know email <laughs> yeah. uh, i got into my got in my first advertising campaigns like more formally ran um ran ads for a uh, for some pro sports teams which is really fun uh ticketing sales so um what i discovered at the time was i loved advertising just even that the company we were at was was sorry it was like a b-level advertiser they uh, right. they ended up um having articles written about them for you know the pop unders and stuff like that but but our core <laughs> product that that my my uh the the director or the vp of sales and i um who i uh, he wanted to start an agency inside this ad tech company so right. i was all about that we um, we started working on this a lot together. We started doing advertising what I consider the right way, which is you know like very much what people want and getting them to it and doing it in the most efficient way possible. Going to sports games, right? It was amazing. Do, do they? So, do they yeah. still have? Do they still have pop unders? Whatever happens? Oh to gosh, that? yeah. There's like I mean, a, if you can imagine like a, a way, rash, to, dude. <laughs> I know if you could, I think what it was, and most of us didn't even realize that that's where half the revenue was coming from, but it was like browser extensions and pop unders and things like that. And, and once, as we began to realize that the, uh, uh, the VP of sales there, who was my boss at the time, um, was like, I got to leave. He's like, I, I don't, I don't believe in this product anymore. And I was sort of unaware, like doing a lot of the marketing stuff because I was marketing the good stuff, but they were making money off of the crappy mm -hmm. stuff. Right. Um, right. more so. Um, or at least that was like where they got a lot of their deals. The, the, they had the, the toolbars, the pop unders, dude. I oh remember. gosh! Yeah. And and you know, from from being an advertiser, because I was, uh, I actually ran offers, and so I would buy affiliate traffic like all the time, and mm -hmm. you could tell immediately that traffic quality. I, I don't know why they mess with pop unders. I mean, it's such a low percentage conversion rate. I know. Most people that get converted end up, you know, dipping out or charging back or whatever. And no. I'm, yeah i'm i'm it, glad that's kind of gone away i know i know it's it was crazy because they they focused so much on the lowest cost per click and that that part mm -hmm. didn't resonate with me because i care only about performance in the, the day right. i care about what what moves the needle the rest is just ancillary data points but i'm getting a little off your question though so i'll i'll circle i'll circle back <laughs> um so uh that that really was like the, the moment for me when I started doing good advertising work, Google ads, you know, some Facebook. Uh, and then from there, um, I, I got really into it. I studied as much as I could. 
I actually started uh, teaching a Google Ads course um, at um, at a coding academy uh, called General Assembly. I did a couple of their first courses when they opened their offices in LA. They became international. I think they went public at one point. Um, and so I, I taught with them for maybe four or five years, but I just started then. I loved, loved, loved having uh, people show up and just like want to learn a new skill. I got to totally nerd out about it. I, you know, <laughs> designed my whole curriculum. And then I eventually started teaching digital marketing courses there. So a part-time 60 hour course group, you know, major project. You yeah. have a lot of people who were um, entrepreneurs, uh, career changers, just wanted to level up their skills. I had people mm -hmm. from like some of the AAA brands coming in, like get like the Toyota folks who wanted to learn digital marketing as well, because their boss had said, Hey, I need you to start learning digital and learning how this works. So my right, goal right. was to help everybody be accessible to everyone in the most ideal way that I can imagine, which was giving them tactical skills to go back with. At the same time, I was going to my ne basically night school, learning about all the, the theoretical, the strategy, and then right, eventually right. how to how to you know be an entrepreneur, um, how to do pitches for major investors, like all of the things that you needed to be a, um, a CEO of a scalable company and actually survive those early days. But but more so, um, what what the big firms are going to look for if they're going to invest in you mm -hmm. and see you as a leader for the future, you know, strategically. So that was really great, and and then at one point. Along that way, like three years into this this company, this advertising company, um, I uh, I woke up one day and I lost my job. And at the time, as yeah, it gives just, context, just, just back, yeah, back up. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you lose your job at a company that's yours? Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, working at a a. Oh, you're still uh, working at advertising. Okay. Yeah, I'm still right. working at the okay. at that okay. sorry, at I that know. agency inside the ad tech company. But mm -hmm. what happened was there there was an audit on on traffic that was from from their main. They had one company that was getting all their bogus traffic, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like half their revenue. And so, um, little context at the time, I had realized that I wanted to go and do my own thing. My uh, my original boss had left to pursue his own agency. I was kind of realizing, you know. I'm getting a little bored here. There's, it's, it's probably time to go. And I just kept thinking, I back marching the beat of my own drums going on in my head. I'm like, I know that I, I want to do something on my own now. Right, I just don't right. know what it is, but I love these skills and I want to use them all over the place. And so I started kind of like preparing my, like how much, how much money do I need to make? Um, I had my, my side work at the time. It was like very much nights and weekends. I was very good. I was very, uh, honest about my day job. I put all my effort there. Um, this is, I think back before this was happening a lot more, cause I think it happens a lot more today, but, um, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, at the time it never crossed my mind. I think maybe it's like that like, autistic authenticity where I like, I would have felt like I was just such a liar and I just, I just couldn't do it. I try not mm -hmm. to judge. I think everyone's got their own version of this, but my story I just couldn't do it. So it was hard, but I was, I was preparing my, um, the amount of work I would need and I was teaching at night. So I was like 40% of the way on the revenue I would need to make to completely stop my job. Right, but, right. um, at that point, the, the rug got pulled out from, um, from about half the company. And, um, and so I think my job ended up going to like, um, to like a, a sales associate or something, you know, like mm -hmm. they weren't, they were changing a lot. They weren't really going in a direct, they needed a new website at that point, but all the marketing work was, um, was not really relevant anymore. So starting right. over made sense to them. So that's when that whole like, oh, we're family turned into, we're not family anymore, but it's, <laughs> I never really believed that to begin with. I don't think that's a really uh, uh, um, sincere thing for companies to say most of the time. So it's no, a business. I it's a business. I think that's, a, I think that's that shit's a guilt trip uh, with family. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
it's it's great yeah. it's great when they want the loyalty and i think loyalty is earned in uh, many other ways besides saying that yes so correct. so at that point um you know and i was uh i was uh, just married at the time i was i had just i was just about to go on a belated honeymoon um that was a short-lived not real marriage but it in a in a uh, not so fun honeymoon but uh but it was so right at the beginning of it, it was the day before i left and i had gotten laid off i had about 40 percent of my income uh that i was that I was steady at that point and i thought right. okay well someone burned the boats for me on this one so yeah. i yeah. need to go out and do it either i need to get another job or i need to make x amount of dollars and so i got back and i just hustled i found every deal i could um i the good thing about it was teaching is a great way to uh and influencing is a great way to get new clients because if you are if you're teaching the right types of, of individuals professionals and you're very you know you're authentic you're generous enough eventually mm -hmm. what happens is they come up and they go hey do you also consult mm -hmm. and so it wasn't hard to get new clients but I, I had to definitely take whatever i could i charged low i i overserved and i under promised and I just made sure that every interaction that I have could be that 10 out of 10 net promoter score, you know, potentially. And, and it just worked out. I had a lot of referrals. I learned a lot. Every time I didn't know something, I was honest. And I said, I don't know this, but if you want me to do it, here's what I'll charge. And here's what I'll learn to do well at it. That worked a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah. then if I couldn't do the work properly anymore, I, I said, Hey, I don't think this is the right call. That's hard when you need the money, but is, every yeah. decision, yeah every decision along the way to try to be as honest and authentic as I could learn as quickly as I could and focus on what real, what real problem they had was critical in every step because I almost never had to get into a cold. I've never had to do cold calling in like the 10 years I've been out on my own. And I'm, I'm grateful that I held on to that because I'm ADHD, autistic rejection syndrome person. So for <laughs> me, getting on and cold calling is a personal hell that I just, I personally can't do. Um, Dude, it, it's it's so funny. Like we we sell the exact same way. Like I started out by teaching and getting clients from people that I was teaching, asking me to help them with stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's such a it's such a neat little funnel that I don't particularly care for cold calling either. You know, I did all the cold calling I ever intended to do, selling uh, fire alarms and selling cars. You know, that's that's enough cold calling for me. And, yeah. and now. Um, I think they call it uh, attraction-based marketing. Is you lead mm -hmm. with the value first, and the, and the yeah. clients come come second. So, all right, you've been thrown into the into the crucible. Um, now it's getting pretty hot. You've lost sixty percent of your income, and so kicking off that first business. How did you adapt, and how did you? Uh, how bumpy was that road getting started? Well, when it was when it was one to one, it was great. Right. And again, I remember I didn't know at the time mm -hmm. that I was neurodivergent. So having uh, whenever I could get one to one authentic relationships and which always started with with someone paying for a workshop, showing up, not always, but but very often. Yeah. Um, and I could just teach and speak authentically. Um, I had a very authentic relationship with each the person that would come in to learn. And I could you can tell that someone is trying to give as much as they can for that for the question that they ask. So that set the stage for the types of businesses relationships that I wanted to have. Eventually, as it became referrals, um, it was one-to-one -one referrals were very easy, but as it became more corporate referrals, that's where it got a little more difficult. Yeah, and yeah. In fact, I remember the turning point when I decided to go from just being a consultant, like a guy with a Gmail address, um, to, 
of being an agency with a domain and um and a look and like a look to the company and a website and stuff yeah, yeah. was um i was doing a pitch for actually oil and gas company bp um mm -hmm. and it was for a financial product um, a friend uh, a, a friend at the time but previously a, a person i worked with uh had worked was working for bp and she said you know we have this financial derivatives type product i don't remember it was something it was something regarding hedging and i can't remember the name for it now but it was right, this very right. high-end financial product that they wanted to do marketing for and mm -hmm. so this this was very much like me I, I needed to spend a lot of time really learning about it even like to do that pitch and there was two um local marketing agencies that did advertising uh that they knew that we're going to be in the in the lineup for this right mm -hmm. it's maybe like hundred thousand dollars in advertising and and i was charging a mod a relatively modest fee but i, I right. getting the deal was was valuable to me mm -hmm. uh very very valuable so um i remember as i was making the pitch deck it dawned on me that i'm a guy with a gmail address going up against two local trusted agencies that were already approved <laughs> vendors for this multinational yep. company and i'm like i'm not set i'm not in the ring correctly on this one or i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not in this lineup uh, properly for this one and it dawned on me that i needed to stop being a guy with a gmail address and start having um, a formal agency i had, had a couple of people working as consultants for me at the time right and that right. was that was a big change now i'm happy to say i won the deal um and and i believe it was because of the quality of my pitch the the honesty of my approach mm -hmm. and the detail of how i was going to do the work and i think they were they were convinced enough to go okay we'll take a chance on it they ended up doing well they they had a great roi in the campaign and um it was a hell of a lot of work to get set up as a vendor that's for sure but yeah, yeah. Uh, it was yeah. the lessons were good the lessons were really good well i mean you know that's why i've put so much effort into uh, into my website and all, all of the assets that i put out on the internet is because you know, people's initial impressions of you come from yeah what your email address is uh, and what your what your website is and, and the number mm -hmm. of the number of clients that come to me for help and they've still got the the yahoo or the damn, i had I had a guy with the aol address and i'm just like <laughs> and 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 that's all well and good for for personal email but when you when you're trying to win business yeah. you, you want it to say jordansbusiness.com you know like come and come yeah. and do business with us and i think a lot of people forget that like the first impressions of you and the industry validation of you it all comes before they ever get on a phone call with you to to see who you are or if if they do get on a phone call with you it comes immediately after they get off the phone with you and they go and look you up and see what's out there and so having a, a, a cognizant online presence at a very minimum that makes sense at least is like it's it's critical and that's literally one of the first things that i end up setting up for a lot of people is to make their online presence right yeah. so um that said okay you're you're a big problem solver you're a big fixer so when you go into to your clients and and this should help the uh, this should help the audience a little bit with their businesses but when you go into to work with your clients as a marketing agency what are some of the key mistakes that you see these clients making and what are some things that you do to solve those mistakes well I guess I would say in short, but I'm sure it'll be a middle, medium length answer. And we uh, have a minute. You're cool. You're good. <laughs> if uh, if I do a good job, it'll be only a medium level answer. Uh, with advertising, there are so many things that have to go right to get a great mm -hmm. ROI. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've got the the sort of product market fit of the marketing as a marketing channel. Mm -hmm. um, what you're offering, the pain that you're solving, 
Um, are you reaching the right people through the correct medium, through the correct advertising channel, if you're advertising or doing, you know, however you're doing it. Um, and if you can get to the right person, you know, effectively there, can you also show them something, um, hook them with something, uh, a message, a creative, a subject line, whatever it is, right. an ad that speak that quickly enough speaks to their pain points or the opportunity that they want to have the identity that they want to, uh, they want to become. Mm -hmm. um, through, through your product and service. And then as they take the next step, um, is that, uh, is that initial splash landing page, that initial experience, does it validate their, uh, does it validate this chance they took to take a moment out of their day with this distraction to go, oh yeah, all right, I'll take a look at this. What's inside this door? Does this meet my needs? Does it does it seem like I should invest even more time, which is a risk, right? It's a risk, yeah, but also yeah. an investment. Uh, and that part, I mean, just that entire set of interaction, all those factors together, just those things are often very difficult for most uh, small, middle, medium size and large businesses to get right all the time. No doubt. You could just yeah. spend 20 years doing marketing, but if but it's so easy to lose track of that when we get caught up in all the technology and the mm -hmm. gadgets and and and, uh, and, that, uh, and 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 speaking the language of your avatar too that that can be tricky at mm -hmm. times you you know if i'm if i'm trying to target women uh aged between 45 and 65 i that that's pretty tricky you you really got to dig inside what they're thinking because they're yeah they're, it's not a 40 year old man <laughs> I was I was always popular with um with uh, when I was a kid I was always popular with the older ladies I don't know I was just like really cute like their grandson so I think I do a good job with that audience but uh, but I completely understand that um, no but the um it, and once you kind of get past that that point there is also where the rubber meets the road and do they believe and trust that you will solve their problem right the, as yes. as you and I have talked about before yes. can you make the pain go away how quickly can you do it. Is it worth their time and investment? How big of a chance are they taking? What is, how are they guaranteed for this to go well? And what happens when it doesn't? Um, all of those things become this part of this like core, uh, core message that you have to get right. And then because of the way that we can track things now through mm -hmm. technology, click tracking, all that, um, it's also a matter of, are we measuring it? And if right. we're measuring it, can we optimize towards those right journeys? That's where some of my favorite work is, is in the conversion rate optimization, the, the, mm -hmm. uh, the data analytics, and then training machine learning systems, which is existent now in most marketing mediums, um, the AI, so to speak, training the AI to help you find people who are better, while also your ability to discern as a business owner, well, where are my best, where are my efforts going? Where am I getting my 80-20? Right. And tactically making those decisions and knowing how to do that is um, is not taught effectively in digital marketing, especially in advertising. I think no, our industry has not. to level up quite a bit in this area. But well, if you get that right, then you're starting on your journey to sustainable ROI. I, I think that's because, you know, when, when we're at school and, you know, when you're in, quote unquote, elementary business class, the first thing you learn is, you know, making a flyer, uh, <laughs> that that kind of stuff, whereas really marketing and advertising is is a very deep science and it's a data-driven science and i think that a lot of people um they're ignorant of that they've never been taught that anything past a flyer can be can be done um i see a lot of business owners they they set up shop they build this wonderful fruit stand and they stick a sign in front of their fruit stand that says fruit for sale and then they just wait 
Like, I don't think they get the, the entire outbound marketing piece. Can you speak on some simple things that business owners can or should be doing? Sorry. Can you speak on some simple things that business owners should be doing with their outbound marketing? Just some basics that they may have missed. Yeah. Um, well, I think that one of the things that they may have missed is spending time talking to people who they want to sell to. Um, there is, if the person, if the person you talk to doing your research doesn't feel like you're trying to sell them at the end and they, mm -hmm. they feel comfortable, um, and that you honestly care about what they think and feel and how, what, how these things matter to them. then a lot of times they'll talk to you and they'll tell you things that you could spend a long time, a lot of money trying to figure out through your marketing campaigns, but you won't hear it as effectively as you do when it um, comes sincerely from the person who you're actually trying to influence uh, to get revenue. I wish I had a button right now for a sound effect that played applause. Like, <laughs> um, um, to, yeah. to, to speak on that, I'll often structure it like, you know, hey, I need to talk to 15 business owners and ask them about their experience with this who can i survey and people will sign up and they'll just let me talk to them and they'll tell me anything i want to know and the entire time i'm really trying to develop market knowledge for whatever product i'm putting out you just you find your, your group and then you just ask to interview them and it's it's crazy that people interview for a starbucks gift card you know and you can you can learn so much about the market yeah. rather than trying to sell you know people. yeah I've been on both sides of this and I've been fortunate to have been interviewed by, um, by some of the large advertising companies like Google and Facebook and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, Zapier I've, I've worked, I've talked to their product managers and then I was excited to see product features come later on that were yeah, yeah. That talked about. Um, and so there's always a point at which someone, someone may be a, a good, uh, good target audience member for you, but that doesn't mean that they're motivated to do it, but someone, someone is. And if we can separate the anecdotal lessons and just take a step back and go, what are they really saying? Maybe maybe they're talking about a feature they want to have, but it's not about the feature that they want to have. It's about what they want to experience as as a, as a buyer at their stage. And and when we can see the real message that's there, then magic can happen. And I've, Correct, I've yeah. especially if we validated it a number of times, you get a good sample mm -hmm. size. That's where the qualitative data starts turning into more quantitative data in a sense. Um, a little bit of statistical significance, right? For us analysts, <laughs> right? Um, how do you how do you turn everything from from uh, from uh, from beautiful pictures back down into the ones and zeros? Uh, and um, uh, and I, quite carefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very very carefully, very granularly. Uh, and and what I if I'm breaking it down into the the economics of this, so be like, oh, I don't I don't have enough time to do it. I got to run my business. Well, there's an opportunity cost of yeah. struggling that you can bypass when you take a step back and go, maybe I don't know enough about this and that's okay. And it doesn't matter how long someone's been in an industry. I don't care how long, mm -hmm. how many years you've been doing this, how many, like your, oh, you know your customers, maybe you don't and that's okay. Yeah. And if we can get over that, and then maybe we just need mm -hmm. to unlock this other area so that we can be more effective. And if I can get that message through, which honestly, I'm not always great at doing, but I work with businesses, then we have an opportunity to um, take a step back, learn more foundationally about something that, that maybe hasn't been, the right questions have been asked, and yeah. then go in a direction in which you don't have to be the most efficient in your advertising and marketing because your message nails it so well. 
that people are flying. It's like, it's like something flying off the shelves at that point. It happens. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Dude. But you know, you made a good point in that it's a lot easier to go and get help and find an expert and shadow them than it is to try to figure it out by yourself. Um, and, and to my, to my everlasting disappointment in myself, I was 37 years old before I went ahead and paid a mentor and paid a coach mm. to teach to teach me the things I was missing. Mm. You know how many years I would have still struggled out of, out of pure stubbornness and not yeah. under, not understanding that, you know, you spend $5,000 on a coach, but what is the return on investment over the next five years of you doing business for that $5,000 worth of knowledge? And yeah. it just managed shortcutted so much uh, for me. Now I know we're a little bit tight on time, Jordan. So I'm going to zip through this real quick. Um, sure. But I, you know, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about your time on the blocks. Um, tell me a little bit about that and what it's like being a judge on the TV show. But but first off, what is the blocks? Because there, there's a huge part of my audience that doesn't know anything about the show, and I, I haven't. This is the first time I've I've brought it up on on the podcast. So. Oh, cool. uh, Right. Well, it's not it's not aired yet, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so let's uh, let's yeah. talk about the blocks a little bit. The blocks is billed as the greatest, the the biggest startup competition in the world. It's uh, we filmed a number of seasons now. I've been uh, I've been a judge and mentor on uh, on two seasons. Uh, one of which has aired, and one of which will be uh, will take a little while. That's where I where I met you, uh, yeah. see. Yeah. And uh, and I would. When I when I started at my well actually I'll I'll go back and say a little bit more about what it is. There's you get something like fifty to 70, 75 contestants who are all business owners of some mm -hmm. sort at various stages. Usually they're below a couple million dollars in revenue um, most of the time, and sometimes they're just in concept phase. Sometimes they've right. been doing some sales, but this is a the idea was creating a community while also creating entertainment reality show style that um, that was a little bit less reality um, reality for like the the shock and awe more so like the actual behind the scenes what it's like and and a really great um, vehicle for educate for business education yeah um, started yeah. by um, uh, Wes Bergman who was uh, did reality did reality shows um, uh, a number of them over the years and then built a startup incubator and through his one of his programs that he eventually um, uh, built was this preparing for this was doing this program the blocks the show and uh, it's been really cool because he introduces his uh, his educational curriculum he brings on guest judges I was one um, we are basically uh, treated as or seen as uh, individuals who um, have been through the fires and maybe right. either a little bit or a lot further ahead than where the the contestant is mm -hmm. but not so far that we are not able to relate and uh and offer a lot of value and also such that a lot of the contestants i think offer us a lot of value and help us learn and grow as well so it becomes this very this beautiful trusted environment we spend a week together and uh we're doing classes exercises mm -hmm. um, and then doing competitions at night and uh, and then spending all of our meals together and this beautiful community starts forming and people start learning from each other. And by the end of it, it's almost like you forget that you were doing this business competition yeah. because you have these lifelong, uh, what, what will be like lifelong friendships, partnerships, collaborations. Um, so when I went to do the show, uh, I was actually struggling. Um, I was up till me about five in the morning. I was just at the, one of those spots in my business where it got really hard again. 
Mm -hmm. And um, I had had some um, some layoffs slash quitting scenarios, some things that didn't go really well. I was deep, deep in my lab trying to build new product and some things with revenue and customer retention weren't going great. And I wasn't feeling uh, the best because I was doing too many roles I shouldn't have been doing. And right. so by the time, um, also this is around the time where I was, um, I had, uh, I think I had left law school at the time. I was a year into law school. I was struggling through my ADHD that I just discovered. I didn't know as I, yet uh, that I've been right. that I'm autistic. So a lot of things were not. I was running a remote team, so I was. There's a lot of struggles with that. Like during during the pandemic, a lot of hard lessons there. And so when I went to the blocks, um, I was there to be a coach, mentor, a judge, and I felt very confident, comfortable in doing that because you're with business owners, so, you know, for 15 minutes at a time, and you were just right. finding the spot in their business that needs it. It's kind of like you know, small business surgeon, right? You are, mm-hmm. you've got a little time with someone, you figure out exactly what they need as quickly as possible. You, you, you help them with, the, maybe they don't know to ask about it, but you're giving them the most value you can in a small amount of time and helping yeah. them along the way. Like if you can just like give them one step up, if, if, uh, if you can be of value and that was what it was like. Um, and what I didn't expect the previous year was that it was going to bring me back to life. I didn't expect to be so inspired and so uh, connected and feel as much purpose. So I felt like I was in this like this pit. I was qualified to be there, and I was right. authentically working very hard. And and I was I felt very successful in driving value for people in that first season. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize was how much um, energy, uh, how much energy it was going to bring me. That and it was like Energizer Bunny. I could go fourteen hours a day supporting people because mm-hmm. I felt the impact of my work and my experience. And yeah. uh, in so many ways, operations, sales, marketing, you know, entrepreneurship, psychology of, of, of the trades and all that and, and, going th- and going through those fires. And so when I came back this year, I knew what I was getting into. So I was more poised. I did my interviews. Great. That was a big thing I wanted to do. I was right, able right. to listen and connect more. I was able to much quicker find someone, find the place where someone really needed that support and mm-hmm. get a, and start facilitating a lot of more of those aha you know, um, a lot of those aha moments where a person would have that clarity and know what to do. And by the way, that's all that person. I'm just facilitating at that point and a little bit of judging along the way and scoring. And so for me, it was like, I would go back every year. I, you know, expenses paid, maybe if, even if I had to pay for it, I would go back every year and just support that community. And, um, because it is when you find like a tribe or group of people who are going through similar things, and you in an environment where you're generously giving back to the community, every contestant was, was learning, but they were generously giving, same yeah. with us as judges and mentors, then um, lives can be changed and, uh, and fires can be made you know, brighter and stronger when, especially before we go back into a world where we have been surviving to, to bring our vision to life. It, it is it is just like that. It feels like being around people that have the same struggles as you and the same goals as you and solving problems together, man. It, it's almost it's almost like it recharges you from the inside out. Um, I wasn't prepared for how exhausted it would make me. I got home from the shoot and I think I slept for about three days. Yep. <laughs> that the same in the judges' side, huh? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it was hard too because the I'm a creative visionary CEO, and so my my gears were turning all over the place, and so mm-hmm. needing to go back and go, okay, I remember chop wood, carry water, chop wood, carry water, <laughs> one step, one day at a time, 
And yes. as I, as my patience was a little better when I got back this time, I found myself reinforcing better leadership tactics. I found myself listening more, you know, being patient and realizing, getting more organized and, and realizing that this be that going to serve on the show um, uh, helped me be a better professional, a better leader, um, a better human being. And so I value the experience so much. And, uh, and I know we got to talk, uh, we got to talk during one of the interviews. Of the show. I was so impressed, so impressed by, uh, by your knowledge, your expertise, oh, thank your, you. your, thank you. Uh, I, I won't, I obviously can't spoil things, but I, I think that, uh, when it came to times when you needed to, uh, do a, um, uh, to do some kind of, you know, public speaking, I was, uh, I was very proud and impressed by what you brought to the table. So well, obviously it's a testament to how you came into the show in general. Dude, it was, it was awful. I, I wouldn't <laughs> wish it, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It was absolutely awful. There was nights where I couldn't sleep. There was evenings where I couldn't eat. Um, just, it was horrible. From the pressure I, and the preparation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I good. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? good. <laughs> like just everybody around you and I got I've got my earbuds in so people would not disturb me. There was nothing playing on them. I just put them in so people would leave me alone. I'm just right. Yeah, but like I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And yet at the same time, it was probably the single most like amazing experience of this part of my career. It was it was fantastic. Yeah. It, it was absolutely wonderful. And yet it's it was, so uncomfortable, right? It was, it was torture. Well, that, and I was trying to carry school as well while I was doing that. So yeah, it was, it was yeah. Torture. Um, but like huge testaments to the community West has built, man. It's been, uh, it's, it's been absolutely uh, game changing. And, and, you know, when Nina and I got home, we were the same way. We had 600 different things that we wanted to do. And, and we both sat down and prioritized to, uh, to just three or four things. And like, this is what we got to work on now. And, you know, I always felt like I was pretty, uh, pretty good and well-rounded at what I do, but the blocks, um, it, it showed me some of the gaps and it, it gave me the tools to fill the gaps. So I'm, yeah. uh, I'm definitely, uh, looking forward to being a part of the community, uh, in the future. All right, mate. Um, man, I can't believe we're up on time cause it doesn't feel like it. I'm just enjoying talking to you, but I know we've both got other stuff to do today. We are recording this on a Saturday. So thank you, uh, for giving me part of your saturday mate i've got two more questions for you and then i'm gonna let you go okay um so this is a question i ask everybody that comes on the show and it, it might be uh, a good one for you being that you do have a lot of experience with uh with uh entrepreneurs that are a little bit further behind us in the journey um i like to ask this so if you could go back to talk to Jordan 10 years ago, if you could talk to an entrepreneur that's where you were 10 years ago, what's that one critical piece of advice that you'd want to give them? Ooh. Get more mentors earlier. Yeah. Um, wow. This, yeah. This plays to something you said before, because I, your 37 was my 35 mm -hmm. and, um, and it is difficult to find the right ones. You, you have to, I, I'm fortunate to never have had bad mentors um, professionally, but, um, but finding the ones who can help you at that time. And we have to, we have changed our mentors over time. It's natural. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the realizing that the clarity that I needed to have that I could have used more that wouldn't have taken me as long to figure out some hard lessons um, is really valuable to me now. And I, even though I may not have fully appreciated at the time before, 
Um, I think a, a good mentor would have helped me to see a little bit further ahead because in, in many ways, I was an idealistic, genuine person who slammed into some walls. And, mm-hmm. and it, we all do that at some point. There's some good growth and survival stuff that happens there. Um, and I, that's why I today so often, um, even if I took the stairs 100 floors, I just want to send the elevator back down. Um, not all lessons we have to learn the hard way. Not all yeah. lessons are as valuable to go through the pain and really in the mud on that. But um, some of them, some of them um, can be can be made better when you have the right guidance and support along the way. So I, I second your comment from earlier. That that's how I, what I told Jordan ten years ago. I couldn't agree with that more, dude. Yes, if you are struggling, please, for the love of God, go get help. Don't just sit there and struggle. Um, Even when you're not struggling, right? Because you because you will, and I'd rather have it there. And yeah, yeah, like learning great point. lessons. And then when the shit hits the fan, um, when mm-hmm. I really need, I know exactly who to turn to. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's what true. I always want to have for yeah. the rest of my career. I love it, man. And I love having guys like you on speed dial so where we can work through shit together. You know, it's always. Yeah, uh, I think I had you what, last week and that was a, you, you helped me through stuff and it was great. I, I, ho- I, I hope it. that helped. I hope it helped. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, simplify my sales message. I, I loved it. I needed, I needed to hear that again. Well, like you speak nerd and I speak nerd, so I understood what you were saying, yeah. but no, nobody else, <laughs> nobody else would. Not, so, my buyers are not really nerds. <laughs> that, not, that's not why, the same way. That's why they buy from us, right? So, yep. all right, mate. Last question, dude. Number one, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me for the last uh, forty-five minutes. Dude. It's been it's been a real fun time. Um, for the for the people that have enjoyed the show and that want to learn a little bit more about what your agency does or want to follow you along on social media, where can they get a hold of you? Yep. Uh, so uh, agencybell.com. And uh, by this weekend, probably by the time this airs, I'll be having uh, my my personal website up, jordandanielbell.com. Uh, if it doesn't go directly to all the things I'm doing, it'll redirect to a page on my website, agencybell.com. So uh, agencybell.com and then personally, jordandanielbell.com. Dude, we'll get those up, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. We're Pleasure. Gonna, um, we're going to roll this out pretty quick. And uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate it. So uh, guys, that was Jordan Bell, owner of Agency Bell, and he specializes in generating leads for uh, law firms, amongst other things. Please go show him some love, follow his socials. And uh, if you need him, go check him out. All right, that's going to do it for us for today. You'll be good. Stay safe. Have a wonderful week. And uh, don't forget to share the show. Leave a review. I'll see you guys on Friday for Friday Fire. All right, that's it for today's episode, guys. I wanted to get on here personally. And thank you again so much for listening, hanging out with us, and being fans of the show. If you'd like to hear more about the show or follow us on any of the other platforms or leave us a review, do me a favor. Go to followsam.live. There's plenty of stuff over there. And uh, if you'd want to know a little bit more about what I actually do for a living, you can find us over at smallbusinesssurgeon.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.